everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, Deputy Features Editor at Billboard and Broadway fan extraordinaire here. So there are some musicals out there where when you go to see them, there are one or two big songs that you know that everyone in the audience is waiting the whole show to hear. And then there are other shows where it kind of feels like every single song is the Broadway equivalent of a pop hit. My Fair Lady is one of those shows. It's a musical based on the play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw, also on a film of that play, about a poor London flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, who is taken in by the arrogant Professor Henry Higgins, who makes a bet that he can not only smooth out her rough Cockney accent, but fully turn her into a quote-unquote lady. The songs in this show by the team of Lerner and Lowe just kind of come at you one after another. Wouldn't it be loverly? I could have danced all night. The rain in Spain. I've grown accustomed to her face on the street where you live. That's not even the whole score. And already I've gone through some of the best known songs in musical theater history, period. So this past April, a new production of My Fair Lady opened on Broadway, which felt both classic and modern at the same time. There was something about the real self-possession of It's Eliza that felt especially apt for a moment in our current world when women are really owning their voices more than ever before. And now, in a few weeks, an actress is about to take on the role of Eliza, who feels like a beyond perfect choice to me. If you're a Broadway fan, you know Laura Benanti as someone who really knows needs no introduction. I believe for a while I was just colloquially referring to her as La Benanti. She just kind of inspires that kind of worship among some, some of us. But for those of you who don't know her, um, Laura is one of musical theater's biggest stars. She won a Tony Award in 2008 for playing the title role in Gypsy, which I was lucky enough to see her in. She was amazing. Um, she's had a very steady career on television as well, including roles on Supergirl, Nashville and The Detour and recently on Younger. Um, and she happens lately to have become very well known for impersonating Melania Trump on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, but in addition to having the incredible voice required to play Eliza in the first place, Laura feels like a perfect match in spirit, too. The Broadway community has always been quite politically active, but she has really emerged as one of, I think, the more eloquent and present voices on how artists can meaningfully engage with what's happening in the world right now. To that point, there is actually an album she has put together uh, to benefit Raices. Uh, you'll hear more about that project from Laura herself. Um, I am so excited to see her in My Fair Lady. I think she's probably going to be incredible. And it was incredibly fun to have her in the tiny billboard library for this week's episode. But the pavement always stayed beneath my feet before All at once am I several stories high Knowing I'm on the street where I live I was just watching a video this morning of you singing I Could Have Danced All Night to Your Small Child, yes. which was amazing. How does she like hearing it so far you know what's funny so she that was an anomaly because normally when I sing around the house she's like all done all done singing <laughs> she won't she only wants to watch me sing on television or we have an echo so she's like echo mama singing um and then it'll you know we'll, we'll play and she likes that but normally she is not into it but for whatever reason that day she wanted to sit on my lap and I I sang to her and she was like more more so that's fantastic. I, I love that she was like, Mama is singing as you were singing. Yes, and Mama like, singing. She's, she's observant. Yes, Mama singing. Yeah, I was like shocked. I was waiting for her to be like, all done. But 
Yeah, so that's to me that's the the, the best review I could ever get. Is that yeah. she didn't tell me to stop. She's probably the most truthful review you can uh, get at this point. I would think. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, I actually the last time I saw you perform was when you were pregnant at the Carlisle. Oh my god, I was so pregnant. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> but you were like balancing on that little stool. Yes, and, like, I was. We were very together. It Remember was when impressive. they were like, "Just sit on a stool. You're you're fine." <laughs> and I was like, "Sure." That's hilarious. I was. I, I can't remember when was that what what month i think it was in the fall maybe yeah i got a year ago today it was a year ago today Whoa! oh my god so i was not even close to how i gained 65 pounds with ella by the end i was like falling over well you, you were not falling over at the no show. not then but i had <laughs> five months to go <laughs> Oh my god! So is singing easier when you're not when you don't have a giant around? human inside of yes. you yes <laughs> Definitely. But you know what's really funny? It's like after you have a baby, all your organs have to sort of go back into place and it takes a while. There are still moments where I'm like, I don't think that belongs there. Um, But yeah, it's much easier to sing. Without all of that going on. Yeah. Yeah, I I just wondered if that was the kind of thing that like affects your voice in some way. Oh, it totally affects your voice because you can't breathe. You know, it's like she was like under my ribs and my diaphragm was being pressed on and she was kicking all the time, especially when I played the drum. She was kicking like crazy. So it's not like suddenly you can hit a high C that you could not hit before. No. When she was in my belly? Yes. No, no. If anything, it's the (laughs) opposite. There's no magical effects. No, no. The magical (laughs) effects are you're like, oh, sweet God, how am I going to be able to do this? (laughs) Well, here we are now, Mm -hmm. apparently two years later, which is frightening because I have no concept of time. That's me either. Um, And I have to say, when I I heard about you going into the show, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, my God, this makes the most sense ever. Like, why did it never even occur to me that this would have happened? So how did this happen? And... How have you not played Eliza before now? I mean, <laughs> seems like something you would do. There, so when I was playing, when I was the understudy to Maria in The Sound of Music in 1997, when I was 18 years old, Melissa Erica was playing Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. So, you know, that was not that long ago. That was, you know, like 21 years ago. And so there was really no other opportunity for me to play Eliza Doolittle. My friend Michael Arden actually, um, directed a production of it like a couple years ago in the Hamptons, but I couldn't do it because I was working on something else. Uh, And when, you know, when this revival came around, Bart Scher called me to see if I would be willing to come into audition. And I I had recently had Ella. I can't remember how old she was, but she was very little. I mean, she's still little. She's 19 months old, but (laughs) she was like brand new. And I just didn't feel... I was like, yeah, sure, I'll audition. And then the audition material just sat there. And I was like, look, if I can't get it together to audition, there's no way I'm going to be able to be the kind of mom I want to be and give the performance that I want to give. So I ultimately called him and said, I'm not going to come in, which was a really hard decision for me because this is my dream role, like hands down my number one dream role. Um, But it's a really amazing lesson in sort of letting go and having faith that what's meant to be yours will be yours because it came around a couple months ago, Bart called and asked if I, you know, just offered me the job, asked if I wanted to come in and replace Lauren Ambrose who got a television show. And I was like, yes. And it's for a limited time, which is great. Mm -hmm. October 23rd to February 17th. Um, So, you know, I, I, I will get to spend the day with my daughter and then go do my dream role at night. And then, be done. I'm, I'm really excited. I feel very grateful. That seems pretty great. Well, pretty awesome. I, I can think of a number of reasons, but why was it your dream role for this long? 
I love a transformation. That's why Gypsy, you know, Louise and Gypsy yes. was one of my dream roles as well. Um, so many sort of um, revivals, like old-fashioned musicals. It's a pretty um, stagnant journey for the soprano, for the leading lady, you mm-hmm. know. So a lot of times, like, the belter would get sort of a, a fun journey or something to do. But so often, the soprano was just in service of other characters, in particular men. And what's so thrilling to me about so many of the roles I've gotten to play, Cinderella and Into the Woods, mm-hmm. Amalia Balish and She Loves Me, Gypsy, you know, Louise and Gypsy Rose in um in Gypsy. Um and now this character, they they start one place and end up somewhere else entirely. And although they are in relationship to men, the journey is about them. You know, and totally. in particular with the way that Bart Cher has constructed this ending, um, it's an ending for sort of a me too times up era. Uh, I don't want to give it away, obviously, but it's much more satisfying and much more close to um, Pygmalion and I think what was originally intended by Shaw. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I love, I love starting out one way and then ending up in a totally different way. And, you know, if you're going A to Z, hitting all the letters in between, that to me is what makes – what makes it exciting is it takes a tremendous amount of um, imagination and also um, like empathy, aligning yourself with another human and figuring out what in your life coincides with their story. Totally. Well, I I was completely struck by how this version of the show feels like a little progressive Mm -hmm. and and it's I love that it's sort of not hitting you over the head with trying to be some new modern interpretation but it just kind of registers with you by the end of the show yes and that I feel like that it's something that I've had a hard time putting my finger on what it is about the shows that Bart directs at Lincoln Center that they're all these shows we think of as Broadway classics but there's Mm -hmm. something that he does that kind of refreshes them and makes them feel like a little bit more modern yeah a little bit more relevant um and I don't know what it is but like this is definitely like a prime example of that yeah I mean he's so smart so he doesn't shy away from the history like in South Pacific he didn't shy away from the ugliness he didn't Mm -hmm. shy away from the racism you know he really like I think so often with these classics it's like we want to hold them up as like look at this musical theater canon and then in some way it feels like we are co-signing whatever they might believe and Bart doesn't do that He's like, this was a moment in time where this thing was happening, so let's illuminate that, but we don't have to make it seem okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he's able to bring – I think he's able to bring a modern emotion and humanity through the performances that he draws out of people um, in a way that feels really fresh and innovative and like of this time period. So we're looking back on something, but we're not co-signing. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I have to ask how your Cockney is coming along because it seems like a very hard accent oh to do well to me. If, I feel like when I try to do it, I end up sounding like Russian somehow. I sound Jamaican. <laughs> that in the beginning, I sounded full-blown Jamaican, and I was like, well, that's just offensive. That is not what we're looking for. Um, I'm getting there, you know? I, I 
the thing I have to remind myself is that, you know, I am not getting sort of a normal rehearsal period that one would get. Mm-hmm. I'm not rehearsing 10 to 6 every day and creating it. I'm, you know, it's a very different thing. So the first couple weeks of my performances, I'm looking at as my preview period where I'm going to find a lot and learn a lot. But I, I'm i I'm feeling more confident in the Cockney now. Um, but yeah, at first it was rough. But my again, my daughter is like, all done voice. <laughs> All done voice. She does not like it. I tried to like read her a bedtime story and she was like, looked at me like, are you an insane person? No. Get out of here. That's amazing. I can't even imagine what it's like to walk around your house and just hear snippets of Cockney. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm like scarring her for life. <laughs> when, she's, oh. when she starts like speaking more regularly, you'll be like, why do you have this funny little accent? Well, what's hilarious is she actually does have a funny little accent. She sounds like a like an old fashioned European Lothario. <laughs> She's like, kisses to baby. It's so funny. Where she's like, Ella hungry. She, I don't know why she sounds French. But I mean, hilarious. I like that she has a sense of drama. Oh, are you kidding me? The other day she was crying and I was holding her and she looked at me and she said, look at self. And I carried her Whoa. to the mirror and she watched herself cry in the mirror. I, I'm not sure what to make of that. That's very existentially and deep. I was like, cool. My mom told me I did the same thing, so. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. Well, I have to say that I, I realized when I was thinking about this podcast that I think you're actually the performer I've seen on Broadway the most, maybe, in my life. Oh, my gosh. Because I, I saw you in Into the Woods. Right. I saw you in Gypsy. I saw you in She Loves Me. And wow. I saw you in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Right. Um, which spans quite a lot of time, which I, yeah. I didn't even realize. And as uh, having seen you that much, I think that... I've seen like an evolution in kind of like the way you're perceived as yeah. an actress. And one of the things that I think has been most obvious is that it seems like the world has discovered that you're very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took a while. It took a while. I, you know, I do think that we are most comfortable putting each other into tiny boxes where you can quantify someone you know and also I, I did play a lot of princesses and you know sopranos are usually thought of as like very serious so I sort of didn't fit the mold of the ingenue um, I really credit social media honestly with people starting to understand that I'm actually like a fool and not <laughs> a very serious actress you know um, but yeah it took it took a while I'm gonna say it took like a good 10 years uh-huh. for I think for people to really fully see me for who I am. Um, and certainly Women on the Verge helped with that. Um, and then I think the ultimate like defining moment for that was the Melania impression. I feel like that's when everyone was like, okay, got it. And they started taking me seriously as a comedian. And I mean, is that something that you had to become more comfortable with kind of like showing that side of yourself publicly too, or were you always a goof and it was just like, wake up? Yeah, no, I was always like that. You know, I think anyone, well, that's maybe not true. I think I did get more comfortable. I think as I started so young, I was 18 when I started, I was so busy showing people that I was grown up, you know, I didn't want them to think of me as a child. Um, I think that maybe I was a little bit more serious because I, excuse me, I wanted them to respect me. Um, But of course, ultimately, people respect you the most when you're being yourself. So it wasn't really until, I don't know, maybe like around the time of like the wedding singer, weirdly, that I started Mm. to 
allow myself to be more of who I was. Where I was like, you know what, this is who I am, and you either think I'm funny or you don't, and that's fine. I just started to become more comfortable in my own skin, and that I was like 26 when, mm-hmm. that, when that started happening. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool because I was I was thinking that for a very kind of classic trained soprano yeah. who could be playing just like pretty ingenue roles, like everything I've seen you in has been more layered and complex Thank and you. sort of allowed you to be serious but also be funny. And Thank I feel you. like She Loves Me was a great example of that, too. Yeah. I mean, I definitely always look for the sense of humor. Um, that's how I, that's the lens through which I see the world. It's my, my mom is a very irreverently funny person and she really instilled that in my sister and I, that no matter what is happening, you have to find a sense of humor in it. Otherwise, you know, you'll be capsized. Um, and so I, I find, um, resilience in humor. And I, I, for me, like even when into the woods, it was important to me to find humor in her. Oh, totally. You know? Um, I feel like it's a big mistake with a lot of Into the Woods productions when yes. they're not funny. Like, it should be very funny. <laughs> I agree. I yeah, it should be very funny. Even in the second act, there's a lot of humor, you know? Mm-hmm. And there has to be. Otherwise, people would just be like, like, shooting Ugh. themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I I feel like it's my job when I've I've spoken about you before and people are like Laura who are, don't know musical theater are like who's yeah. Laura Benanti? I'm like she's Melania. And they're like, oh. I know. <laughs> it's I so know. strange. I'm like you should know her from Broadway. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It's like I have done so many weirdly different things in my career. I mean, I've done like musical theater and then straight theater, and then a lot of different television. A lot of TV. I a was lot like, of television. I didn't even realize how much it was. Yeah, a yeah. ton. Um, so it's like Nashville people only know me from Nashville. Supergirl people only know me from Supergirl. Most people only know me as Melania. There's not this sense of like, oh, that's who this person is. Yeah. You know, there are certain actors who are always themselves. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean, like to me, Julia Roberts is always Julia Roberts, but that's what I want from her. And she's so good at it. And I think she's such a wonderful actress. Um, but for me, like, you know, some people are like, how do I know you? And I'm like, I don't know. And then they're like, oh, it's Nashville. And I'm like, uh-huh. And they're like, well, what else have you been in? And then I'm like, I don't know. And then if I'm like, Supergirl, they're like, wait, that's you? Like, they have no <laughs> idea that it's the same person. And it's not like I'm saying I'm like Meryl Streep or anything where I'm some like brilliant ca- like chameleon. But I do think there is this um, disconnect between all of the various things that I've done that for better or for worse has prevented me from being a – person that people are like identify me with this one way of being yeah well I guess that's a good thing that you're not you're not like a type really yeah yeah for sure I mean I think probably my agents and would prefer that (laughs) there's a little bit more understanding of who I am but I have faith that if that's meant to happen then it will but I also think I would be a very bad famous person I just (laughs) I like to walk around you know looking like I do right now like I don't want to ever have some paparazzi person like taking pictures of me like buying peaches or something like it would that would upset me um so for me having a career in which I can walk around freely and my daughter and I can go places and no one's like bugging us and you know the the you know the few times a day that someone's like I love you it's always some sweet heart of a person where I'm like oh I'm so glad that that's the person that likes me yeah, yeah. um so I'm I like it that's good yeah Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Well, so I, I am curious. Are you surprised by how huge the millennia thing has become? Like, what did you think it was going to be when you signed on? I had no <laughs> idea. I mean, it happened. It came together so quickly. So I had been on Steven's show uh, promoting She Loves Me, and he uh, put up a photo of Melania and myself and pointed out our sort of, um, you know, physical similarities or what have you. And then I sort of made the face and like, that was it. I never, I literally never thought of it again. Mm -hmm. And then the day after her famously plagiarized Michelle Obama speech at the Republican National Convention, I woke up to like a million emails and phone calls from the show asking if I would come in and, and put together an impression. So we did it in like five hours. They put the script together, and it was live. That's when he was doing his live show, so there was like oh, no wow. turning back. We rehearsed it at 5.30. I kept, they rewrote. I kept working on it, and then we did it at 11.30, so there was like n- no turning back. There was no way if it didn't work that we could just be like, well, forget it. And then I was shocked. The next morning it was like had millions of views. And like CNN was calling me and it was really interesting. You know, it's hard. It's like I don't want that to be like the first line of my obituary. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be thought of as that Melania Trump impersonator Um, because, you know, I've worked pretty hard (laughs) my whole life. You've done some other things. Yeah. So I'm so (laughs) grateful for it. And I'm grateful to Colbert for like having the faith in me, knowing that I could handle it comedically. And the more we do it, the more leeway they give me, the more input I have, which I really appreciate. So I'm really hoping that the next phase after um, My Fair Lady is that I get to parlay that, you know, people knowing me as being funny into something that I can actually be known as, you mm-hmm. know, some wonderful television show that people are like, oh, you're on this amazing show on Netflix and I'll be like yes and then you yes, also do Melania will like quietly fade into like you know various like a party trick well I, I love that he, he is also a musical theater person yes. so I feel the fact that he chose you it feels like a, a move of solidarity yeah he's he's awesome I really love him um, so I feel like this is a good segue into the yeah. fact that I uh, I'm impressed by you and by the Broadway community in general in terms of how pol- like politically vocal mm-hmm. and um, in a really smart and engaged and honest way like the theater community has always been and yeah. I remember like when the uh, election first happened here at Billboard we were like we expect more of pop musicians. We mm-hmm. wanted to see more pop people from the pop world speaking out. And I was like, people from musical theater have always been vocal and not been afraid about it. Um, so yeah. and so it's been great to see you being one of those kind of leading voices. Thank you. Um, is that also something that like kind of took time to have the courage to do? Or do you see that as being something that in the theater community, it's just always been more natural to like speak up? I mean, I think people in the theater community, we're not the we're not the cheerleaders and the and the um, football players in in, you know, in the high school world. Like we've 
pop, I think of pop stars as the cool kids. <laughs> and we've always been sort of the outcasts. So it's safer in a way when you're an outcast to speak up because you have less to lose. So if you have billions of followers and you could potentially lose half of them if you speak up, that's pretty scary, you know. Um, and if you are a theater artist and you potentially have thousands of fans, those fans, too, are probably coming from a similar background as you. You know, so the the likelihood of you offending or losing someone is probably less. But I think some of it, too, is based on survival. You know, during the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, when no one was talking about it, when it was gay cancer, the Broadway community stood up because they were losing so many of their own to say, we have to do something about this. You know, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS has been, and the Actors Fund has has been, you know, a... a a beacon of hope and light for so many people for I don't even know how many years I want to say 30 years um yeah so I think it's part of our history in a way you know Mm -hmm. um but you know I've always been I've always been vocal about my I mean even during the Bush administration I was pretty vocal about it but I do I will say I do think it's less of a stigma in our community mm-hmm. to speak up than it is in like a pop or rock world, especially pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess rock stars have always been. Yeah. Spoken, so but but to be honest, I would love to hear more popular music that's talking about what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about the 60s and what that music was saying and it helped. It spurred a revolution. It was part it was reflective of what was going on at the time. I don't feel that the pop music right now is particularly reflective of anything that's happening other than like the Kardashians. And, you know, it's it's like taking our most um, superficial, least important pieces and reflecting that instead of speaking to something deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully that will continue to evolve. Um, I hope so. So you have this project, this yes. new album that I would love to hear a little bit about that's sort of tied into everything that's going on right now, but also involves a lot of exciting Broadway people. Yes, yes. So, you know, when it came out that the the Trump's no tolerance um, policy was separating children uh, from their families at the border, you know, quote unquote illegals who actually tried to come in legally and then were diverted to an area in which then they were forced to come in illegally and then they were arrested by, um, you know, ICE, ICE. Um, I I was just shocked and appalled that our nation wasn't turning itself inside out at the idea that small children were being kept in cages. And it became abundantly clear to me that if those children were white and if the images of those children being separated from their families were blonde women nursing their babies, mm-hmm. that it would be a very different outcome. And I was so angry and so um, disillusioned. And my friend Marcia was like, well, then do something. And I was like, well, what am I, what can I possibly do? And then I was thinking about the organizations that I follow and Raesis, which is an organization down in Texas that's actually been working full-time for years, for decades, um, you know, for, for immigrant, immigrants' rights and for the Dreamers, um, they came in full force to um, 
you know, speak up and fight legally for these families. So my friend Mary Mitchell Campbell, who is actually the music director over at Mean Girls, um, and my friend uh, Lynn Pinto, who she and I did Sound of Music 21 years ago together, and she does all of the Carols for a Cure albums at Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. We got together, and um, I just texted a bunch of my friends and asked them if they would be willing to sing songs to benefit Reyes. And over the course of that, now Warner Records has gotten involved along with um, Ghost Light, which is a subsidiary of Warner, Mm -hmm. and they put out a lot of Broadway material. Supporters of the podcast. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, every single person has donated their time. The musicians, the technicians, the person, you know, mixing, the person mastering, all of the artists, even Warner and and um, Ghostlight, they gave us the um, they gave us the space. They gave us. I mean, I, I can't even believe how much they gave us. Um, so it's seven songs, uh, four of which are um, traditional Spanish children's songs, and the lineup is uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and Mandy Gonzalez singing entirely in Spanish, Cielito Lindo, and um, myself in this beautiful little girl, Isabella, um, singing a song called Aurora Mi Nino in Spanish and in English. Jason Robert Brown wrote a song called Singing You Home for Audra McDonald. Yeah, and that's actually (laughs) the name of our album, Singing You Home, and Mm -hmm. it's incredible. Um, Ingrid Michelson and Ana Villafanye sing um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Cynthia Arrivo sings in English and in Spanish. Um, Josh Groban wrote a song with um, Dave Matthews called Lullaby, and Josh and oh, wow. Adina sing it together as a duet, wow. and we'll be singing it on their tour together. Um, I'm trying to think if I've left anyone. Kristen Chenoweth <laughs> is singing um, Dream a Little Dream for oh, the wow. Dreamers. Um, and so it's we're looking toward either October 19th or the following week, October 26th, to okay. release it. Um, and... 85% of the money goes to Reisis, and 15% will go to ASTEP, Artists Striving to End Poverty, which is Mary, Mitchell's Cam- Mary Mitchell Campbell's organization, and that money will go per- in particular to the children um, in New York who are currently being um, cared for. I love the idea of you just texting all of these people and... Like, and I tell you, new Jason Robert Brown song emerges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I texted everyone, and within seconds... Everyone was like, yes, 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 yes. It was pretty remarkable. So we're hoping that, you know, other artists, you know, maybe J-Lo, maybe Ricky Martin Mm -hmm. will see what we've done, you know, hear the music, hear how beautiful it is, and then, you know, contribute on their own in some way. You know, Lynn has done so much for Puerto Rico. He's, I was going to say his you know, song for Puerto Rico was so powerful and exactly. incredible who he got together. Exactly. So, you know, I, I'm really proud of it. It's probably the thing I'm most proud of other than being Ella's mom. Um, <laughs> and I really hope that everyone will buy it because 100% of the money is going to this organization. And, you know, I'm in contact with Reyes quite a bit. And the thing that's really appalling is because our news cycle is so fast – and everything moves so quickly, people aren't even thinking of this anymore. And it's still happening. Totally. Thousands yeah. of children have been added to the list, you know, o- over the past few months. And under the cover of night, these children have been moved to a tent city in Texas. 
And the more they move around, the harder and harder it's going to be to reunite them with their families. So it's it's just vitally – I think of it this way. I could put 1% of my attention into 100 causes because there are so many. Mm-hmm. And I've chosen to put 100% of my attention to this one cause because that's really all I can do. Um and I know there's some other wonderful people who are putting the 100% of their attention into other causes. So I think if we can all get together and do that, then we're going to have quite a bit of manpower behind what we believe in. And we'll be able to hit sort of all of the various areas that are, quite frankly, under attack right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's such a good point about how fast things move right now. Yeah. I mean, my friends and I are always like, what happened to this huge story that was Still the only happening. thing we were talking about I know. three weeks ago? And what's terrifying is so much is happening. We don't even talk about a lot of it. You know, so many things happen sort of under the cover of these larger things, so many smaller issues um, that we don't even have time to address are mm-hmm. just being swept under the rug, you know. There's so many Trojan horses in this administration as we're being, you know, gaslit as a society. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I think this is a great example of, I think a lot of artists wonder, like, what can I do that's concrete to to actually just get involved, period. And um, this is such a great example of something that it involves your art, it involves your community, and it's, you know, doing something with your community, I think, is the, the first step to change, for sure. Yeah. I was thinking, as you said earlier in our conversation, that I can't believe that you started on Broadway at age 18. That's yeah. crazy. And I have to think that things have, even in the theater community, which has always been more accepting and m- maybe more respectful towards mm-hmm. women than Hollywood, um, that things have to have changed a lot since you started. Oh. And I was just wondering, like, what was it like for you when you were 18 and starting out and how have things changed for the better or not since then? I mean, I'm lucky in that I was surrounded by a lot of gay men <laughs> who loved me and yeah. respected me and looked out for me. But I was also surrounded by a lot of pervs, you know, who... Mm-hmm. Um, objectified me at a really young age, who propositioned me, who um, made me feel like if I did not um, flirt with them or uh, worse, that they wouldn't hire me or that I would be fired. I was talked down to a lot. I was made to feel like I had to laugh at jokes that actually made me cringe. And I realized that I've carried a lot of that with me. In a weird way, I'm almost from like a different generation hmm. because I started in the late 90s as a teenager. I was still part of that. Like I watch Friends now and I'm like, oh, my God, that joke is so homophobic, yeah. you know, and and but it wasn't then, you know, or, oh, my God, I can't believe the misogyny of that joke. But it wasn't then. It was mm-hmm. just part of the culture. And that's deeply woven into the fabric of my being. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's at 18, I didn't have girlfriends because all the girls my age were in college and the grown women had their own lives. So mm-hmm. that started me on a path of just having boyfriends. You know, men were paying attention to me. And so I really began to, above all things, put men first because mm-hmm. in some way, it made me feel cared for, you know, and even the men who were being unkind to me or putting me in difficult situations, I didn't feel like I had a voice or anyone to go to, to say, hey, this makes me really uncomfortable. So I just learned to live with that. Mm-hmm. And that starts to affect you after a while where you learn you're alone, you know, mm-hmm. and 
I will say that having a daughter, I, it was very hard to be pregnant and Donald Trump become our president. I felt like I was bringing, mm. I realized that I was bringing my daughter into a deeply misogynist world. But that has always been. So I'm really, I'm really trying to lean toward the light and look toward the positive in that this is not new. What is new is our response. Mm-hmm. You know, what is new is that we are now saying, time's up. This is, we are done. Me too. Time's up. This is over. And we cannot expect this great dinosaur that has been around since we started walking on two legs. Mm-hmm. We can't expect this dinosaur to go down without a fight. We can't expect him to not let out his deepest, most powerful, most terrifying growl because he knows he's going extinct too. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I have to believe, that this is the dinosaur's last stand. And all the ugliness we're seeing, all the misogyny and the racism and the hatred, this is the last roar of a dinosaur that we are going to bury. And I have faith and belief that I will be part of it. My daughter will be part of it. Whatever she chooses in her life, her children will be part of it. You know, when I saw the millennial map of who would have won if only millennials had voted, Mm -hmm. I felt a sense of hope, Uh you know. And look, when I see the images of the kids that it's like pro-gun, pro-God, pro-life or whatever, that's upsetting for Mm -hmm. sure. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy by any means, but this is ancient, you know, the way that women have been treated over the course of lifetimes. I think because men are terrified, honestly, that we can produce life, <laughs> that it terrifies them how strong we are, that now that we're really showing them how strong and that we no longer need them to be our warriors and protectors. We don't mm-hmm. live in a hunter-gatherer society. You know, we live in a society in which we are truly equal and we are finally equal. And we're saying, I'm sorry you don't like that or that a lot of you don't like that. But time's up mm-hmm. because that's what's happening. I'm grateful to be a part of that. I wish that we could do it in a way that felt like ultimately there can be a truce, that ultimately there can be peace and love. And I think that will be the hardest part of it all. Mm -hmm. Because I have no question in my mind that the dinosaur is going extinct. But I don't want in that process for us to be eaten up with hatred. Mm-hmm. It's so hard, I think, to allow your heart to be soft when you're so deeply angry. And that's really what I'm concentrating on is how do I affect change without allowing all of this to bury me in the weight of its sadness? Well, I have to say that you're, I mean, you're about to play a character who feels like as timely as she ever would and and is such a great example of a woman kind of taking control of her narrative and yeah. not letting a man control what she does and how she does it yeah. and 
and doing it in um, without giving away the ending in sort of an elegant way, yes. ultimately, and with singing <laughs> and with singing. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say, how do you how do you remain above the like the morass by singing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly believe that music is the great equalizer. I think it is the thing that brings us all together. That's why this album is so important to me. That's why musical theater and music is so important to me because I think that it truly. There are studies that show that it heals. You know, it, it's true. Yay, musical theater. Yay. Great. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you, and I'm excited to see you in the show. Me too. Yes. <laughs> My Fair Lady is playing at the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center in New York right now, and Laura Benanti will start her run as Eliza Doolittle on October 23rd. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, as always, please give us lots of stars and nice reviews on iTunes. You can tweet about the podcast with the hashtag Billboard on Broadway. I am at Rebecca Millsoff on Twitter. I am at you down with RMM on Instagram. Please find me on both places. And hope to have you back for the podcast next week. Blah, 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 blah.